Thank you, Pastor. Good evening. Thank you so much for coming. Appreciate you being a part of the service tonight. If you enjoyed the Rodriguez family, say amen. amen. I hope you did. I thoroughly enjoyed every one of them. I think there's 113 or so in that family. And I'm really glad for such a wonderful crowd that came and are a part of this ministry. Romans chapter 11 tonight, please. The book of Romans chapter 11. Remember, tomorrow night is the final night of the meeting. It's the night we're taking a look at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll see all kinds of interesting things about Him. You'll find out tomorrow night what to expect if you miss the coming of Jesus Christ. Most of the world will miss His coming. They won't miss the fact that He came, but they'll miss the fact that He was coming. And I hope that you're not one of them. And I hope if you are, tonight will be your night when you get in the family of God, get saved by the good grace of God, and then invite somebody else to come with you tomorrow night. How many would say, by the grace of God, I'll plan to be back tomorrow night. Would you lift your hand real high? God bless you for doing that and for the people that you're inviting. Stand please out of respect for the reading and teaching of the Word of the Living God. I'm in Romans chapter 11, starting my reading down at verse 33. Oh, the depth and riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been His counselor? Or who hath first given to Him, and it shall be recompensed unto Him again? For of Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Title of the message tonight, The Dedication Decision. Thank you. You may be seated. We'll pray together. We thank you, Lord, for the Word of God, the God of the Word. Neither will change. Both can change us. We pray tonight for those who've come. I pray for anybody that's in church, but it's not in Christ. Peel religion from their eyes and paste on there a relationship with the King of the Ages. We thank you tonight for the Rodriguez family. Thank you for allowing them to come and be with us. Your blessings upon them, we pray, for any gifts we have tonight. We pray if they don't know you, they will by the time this service is over. And we give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Decisions. Conscientious choices. A decision is a, is a conscious choice so that you can make right decisions versus wrong decisions. There are some decisions that are insignificant. Some are important and two are imperative. Those two are the decision to trust Jesus Christ and to give God your life. If you do not make the right first decision, you will not have an eternal home. You may have sat in church most of the time of your life, but you still won't be in heaven. If you do not make the right second decision, you will not have an eternal reward. You will be in heaven because of the good grace of God, but not because of any work that you ever did. In this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul deals with both salvation and surrender. He tells us about the need and nature of salvation. 
and tells a person how to get into the family of God and be saved by the good grace of God. Look down, please, in verse number 1 of chapter 12 and notice first the relational decision. He said, I beseech you, therefore, watch the word, brethren. Anytime you see the word brethren, it means that there are other brothers and sisters in the family of God. How does a person become a child of God? Well, there's a process that takes place, and you can study about it in Acts chapter 2, and you can sense that in that passage of Scripture, God has a way of bringing people to Himself so they will understand who He is and what He's done on the cross. The Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. In Acts chapter 2, you will see that there was Bible preaching. And that preaching went to the very heart of religious people. They got under terrible conviction and cried, What shall we do? And Jesus was exalted in their presence. And they were told to repent and believe the gospel, which they did. They gave evidence of it because they got baptized and got involved in the church. And in one day, 3,000 plus people got into the family of God. My question for you tonight is, have you ever been born again? Born from above, born from God Almighty. If you have, you'll understand the purpose then. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. And when you have Christ come in your life, you'll understand Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. Every person that was saved by Christ was saved for Christ so that the Christ who saved them could demonstrate who He was in, through, and by them every day of their lives. That's the relational decision. But it's also a radical decision. It goes on and says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Here's an interesting phrase, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. The word present carries the idea to provide, to make available, to hand over as a gift. You received a present when you got saved. You're to take that present and present it back to God so that He can do anything He wants to do in, through, by, and for you for the mercies and by the grace of God. A lot of people do not understand that when you get saved, your body is no longer yours, but it's His. And I appreciate two of you agreeing with me, so I'm going to say that again. <laughs> it's not yours, it's God's. That's what His blood was given for, to wash away your sin and put you in His family and to make you a living sacrifice. Talk about a unique phrase, living sacrifice. If you know anything about a sacrifice, a sacrifice was made to bring God into every picture of the life of a believer. But it's a living sacrifice. Now, if the sacrifice is supposed to be dead, then how can it be alive and dead at the same time? Jesus does that so everybody can say who Jesus is and what He's like. It's radical. It's very extreme, very unusual. Lots of things in life are radical. 
I don't know if you ever heard the name Aaron Ralston, but he did something extremely radical in 2003. He went into the mountains of Utah to Blue John Canyon. He made a mistake and went by himself. Yes, he was a good mountain climber, but he wasn't banking on an 800-pound boulder loosening itself and smashing his right arm and leaving him incapacitated for six solid days. His cell phone worked, but it didn't get anybody. His voice worked, but nobody could hear him. And after six days, he came to this conclusion, I have two choices. I can die, or I can get help. And the only way to get help is to cut off my arm. He took out of his pocket the knife that he had. He turned quickly and snapped his arm. He, sna he cut away at all the excess, put a tourniquet around it, and took one arm and repelled 70 feet down the side of the mountain. Then he walked five miles before he was found by a Dutch family who took him to the doctor and they stitched up his arm and he began to give his testimony all across the United States. One morning my wife and I were having breakfast and I heard him start to give his testimony and I turned the television up and I listened to every word he said and when he got finished, there's a lady on television that though I ought not call her name, I will. Her name is Katie Couric and she said, now tell me again, why is it you cut off your arm? And I thought to myself, lady, you don't have much upstairs yourself. And he looked at her and he said, ma'am, I wanted to live. The first day in your Christian life you really want to live for Jesus, nothing Jesus asks you to do will be too much. But if you're always arguing about whether it feels good or whether you want to do it, You'll never live for Jesus Christ because your feelings will outform out your everlasting life with Jesus Christ. He sacrificed himself willingly. I beseech you. Paul is not at gunpoint. Paul is simply saying, a number of years ago, I gave to God what he paid for on the cross. And ever since that day, I've allowed him to live his life in, through, by, and for me for the glory of God. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. C.T. Studd said, redemption means buying back. So when I saw what Jesus Christ had done for me, it didn't seem hard for me to give him my all. If you're sitting here tonight and you've never given Christ all that is in you, you don't understand full surrender. Second of all, it's sacrificing yourself wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Now the word holy is in this passage of Scripture as well, which means set apart from sin, set apart to God. But that's not the word here. What I'm talking about is what Isaac Watts wrote when he wrote, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my heart, my all. Somebody said, well, preacher, how can a person give everything if he, when he got saved, he actually died to himself because God wants everything you died to and died for so that he can live his life in, through, by, and for you and you can touch other people for the rest of their life. 
I don't understand why people hold out on God, but it was my privilege to give Him my life when I was 17. I think I told you Sunday morning, the Holy Spirit of God spoke to me in a Christian camp. And here's what He said. Tom, you can give me your life or I'm going to kill you. And there's some of you in this building that know exactly what I'm saying because you've been there. And those of you that do not may get that opportunity. All you got to do is keep running from God and you may get that opportunity. His name was Al Order. Al Order won the Olympics four times. The fourth time, he became a legacy. It was Tokyo, Japan, and he was planning to go, and everybody was excited because he was the man who could, in Olympics, take and throw the tweezers, as I would call them, and you may call them something else, but he, he was a man that was well-respected. Two days before he was to leave, he dislocated the cervical vertebra. The doctors came, the coaches came, and they said, we're sorry, but we can't send you to Tokyo. You won't make it. He sat up in his chair and he said, I will make it, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to win a fourth gold medal. And they said, well, if you're going to go, you go. So he flies all the way there, and when he gets to there, he's out on the first day, he's exercising, and he slips, and when he does, he tears the cartilage in the right side of his ribcage. He's over on the bench, doubled over, and the coaches said, Now we know you're not going to participate. You can't participate when you're in such bad shape. He sat up and spit up blood and licked those coaches in the face and said, I will participate. And I will win a fourth gold medal. And what I need is some ice around my chest. And so they went and got it. And they iced him up. And they put on his shirt. And people in the stands were certainly not taking any bets on this guy. Because they knew, most of them knew what had happened to him. He threw the first and second. It was an agony. He threw the third one. And was coming closer every time. Now he has one last throw. With this throw, he's either going to win or lose and humiliate himself. And he takes back and he lets go of it. And when he does, sets a new world record of 200 feet, one and a half inches. He goes over and sits down and they come and say to him, Have you lost your mind? Do you not understand that this could have killed you? Why in the world would you do such things as this? Interestingly enough, Al Order looked up and he said, These are the Olympics. You die for them. And most of you until tonight had never heard of Al Order. But he gave himself so that he could set a new world's record. And he did it voluntarily. So you sacrifice yourself worshipfully. He says in this passage of Scripture, this is your reasonable service. This is your logical service. This is your spiritual worship. Some of you are going to hurt when I tell you this, but if you have never surrendered yourself fully and totally to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, 
you have never really been in God's Olympics. Oh, you've belonged to the sides, you've been watching, you've been participating, but you've not been fully involved until you give God everything He paid for with His precious blood on the cross of Christ for you. Jesus says do it sacrificially. Then He says you need to do it reasonably. Because in the passage of Scripture He uses which is your reasonable, rational, logical service. Logikos is the word. He said, if you understand what Jesus did for you that would appear illogical, then the only thing you can do for Him not to gain your salvation, but to show your gratitude for your salvation, is respond to His mercy by expressing it visibly and verbally. It's quiet in the building. And I often wonder when I get to this point of the sermon if people are asleep or really tuned in. Until the day you give yourself fully and totally to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you may have a family, but you don't really have a ministry. You may be the dad of the family, but you don't have a ministry till you've surrendered. You may be the head bishop of this church, but you don't have a ministry until you've surrendered. And God had to deal with me and show me that anything that I did that was less than my best was demonstrating how powerful I thought I was and how weak I thought Jesus was. And then fourthly, it's a recognizable decision. If you go to verse 2, he says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed. That's the word schismatic. Carries the idea of a plain design. This building was built by design. There were not two of the workers that came in and said to each other, You know, I just don't believe there's enough windows in this place. And I, I think we could put two more back there and we could probably put some over here. And the contractor comes along and says, I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but I can see by the way you're looking that it's not on the plans that we have drawn. And unless it's drawn, it will not be used in this building. Somebody's sitting here tonight and you're saying, you know, it's hard to believe well, believe it because that's the reason this building's been standing here for how many years, Pastor? Since 1968, this first part, 1969. 69. 69. 74. And what year is this? 2021. I don't know about you, but I'm sure glad that somebody had the plan for this building. And if you want your life to last and move on even after you're gone, you need to get God's schematic. It's called the Word of the Living God. Don't be conformed, be transformed. Metamorphosis simply means let your outside represent what your inside is already. If you are outside, not what you are on the inside, there's a problem. 
And I guarantee it's not the inside because the inside is what God changes first. And then He moves to change your outside so that your inside and your outside look alike. And if your inside and outsides don't look alike, you're a poor testimony for the cause of Jesus Christ. Preacher, how does that happen? He says, by the renewing of your mind. Refresh, refocus. Get in the Word of God. Let it get in you. Let it change how you think and talk and the things that go through your mind. And don't ever again be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed. Which leads me to the last point. It's a rewardable decision. It says in this passage of Scripture, By the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word prove means to test, to approve, to show the rightness of. He's speaking of the will of God. How many days out of a week do you really do the will of God? How often do you spend speaking to God early in the morning and say, I don't know what all you have for me today. I do know that I have to go to work and I have some things that I have to take care of. But I want to make sure that what I do has your name on it and your approval of it and that I'm not doing anything that's insulting you. So that you may prove what is that good. It's an interesting word. It means what is worthwhile, what is acceptable. How long has it been since you got on your knees And you said, Lord, this is a brand new day. Thank you for helping me through yesterday. And thank you for allowing me to see all the things that I saw. And I give you praise, honor, and glory. But this day has not been lived yet. And I need to hear from you again today. Not just yesterday, but today. So that by your grace and by your mercy, I will do one more day what you wanted me to do. Because this may be the day that you decide to take me home. What if God had decided to take you home today? What would your last day on planet earth have been? There's only one life, it'll soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Psalm 16, 11, thou will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 32 and verse 8, I'll instruct thee and teach thee in a way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee. With my eye. I have many times thought about the man who built part of his beautiful, almost two million dollar home on the property of the Mulman Park Foundation. He was a year and a half into it, he was within two weeks of being done. And somebody from the park noticed that he had built on their property. Now, I don't know if you know anything about it, but that's illegal to do. So they came over and explained it to him, and he got upset and took them to court. And after being in court, and by the way, this is a true story. The judge who had listened to everything and heard everything that came in took his gavel, brought it down, looked at the man who had built the house, and said, tear it 
down. You never receive permission to build on the park's property. And his $2 million went up in smoke. Some of you are saying, well, I don't have to worry about that. I go to the judgment seat of Christ. You don't know much about the judgment seat of Christ, do you? He's not going to burn your house down. He's going to take every work that you did in the flesh and burn it up. That's the teaching of the Scriptures. So as you may prove what is that good and acceptable, in other words, God approves it, and perfect will of God, it is one of those things that's complete and impeccable. And God wants to bless it. So tonight we come to the end of the message and I have to ask you a question. Are you a Romans 12, 1 and 2 believer? No, I don't mean do you occasionally tell God, uh, I, I, we would really like for you to get glory to yourself in our lives sometimes. Now I want you to think about being God and you made everybody in this building and somebody said to you this morning, I'll come back to you tomorrow, but today is Wednesday and it's my day. You say, preacher, that's your, your uh, very being personalized on your own personal opinion. No, you don't have your day. When you're saved by the grace of God, you are no longer in the driver's seat. You're supposed to listen to the king of the ages and allow him to tell you what he wants you to do, really doing what God wants done every single saying that he wants for you to do. So I'm standing and I'm looking to over, all across the audience and I'm looking all across from one side to the next and up in the balcony. And unless my eyes are really in trouble or we don't have a Romans 12, 1 and 2, an independent Baptist church with, with all we need to giving everything for Jesus to die. So what are you going to do? Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate that. And I, I, we're going to go, and I, well, you can. So let's all go home, and let's suppose most of the people in the building walk out tonight and the rapture takes place before the numbers uh, at the end of this day at 11.59 and Jesus says I'm going to take you home. What are you going to do when you kneel at the nail scarred feet of Jesus? What are you going to do when he holds out his hands and said, I did this for you? 
Now, what is it that kept you from giving to me what I paid for on the cross so that you could be a brand new person and not have the old life haunting you? It was a sermon like that that got a hold of me when I was 17 years old. Oh, I could have got up and walked out because I'd done it many times. But I can tell you something about being a child of God. When God speaks and you say no, you will know that you've disobeyed Him. You will know that you're in His face. He will not allow you to live any way that you want. He will bring you into full accountability, and you don't want that to happen. You want to make sure that you're rightly related to the king of the universe. Are you? Are you? Let's stand and bow our heads to pray.